0: What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started.
1: What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian.
0: Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com.
2: Hi and welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott. And I'm Ben. As always, we are joined by our super producer, Noel Buckle Up Brown. I thought you'd like that one, Scott. I do like that one. It's uh, a good one. Yeah, we are about to do a podcast that has, uh, has been a long time in the making. We've kicked around this idea before and we've, we've talked about it off air and on air and various different things. Uh, so I guess before, we really dive into it, Scott. I, I have to ask—I um, have to ask you a question. Do you have any good seatbelt stories? Any good seatbelt stories? Oh my gosh!
3: Oh, you know what? I kind of do. Um, I don't know about—I I don't know where this falls in our whole uh, history of, or you know, what we're going to uh-huh. talk about today. But uh, when I was a kid, in the back seat of, of uh, you know whatever car we had at the time, and I can tell you that my mom had an old uh, Ford Falcon and my dad uh we i think our first new car was a uh Dodge Dart Swinger back in the early 1970s uh-huh. like maybe 74 somewhere in there um I, i'm not sure exactly where the state of like child car seats were at this point in, in history i don't remember exactly but right. um i had a a like a child safety tether like a harness that i wore and you could probably find photos of this thing online but it almost looks like a parachute jumpers type uh, getup where you have like Couple straps to go like around the thighs. Uh, there was a mesh work that was on your chest. And then uh-huh. a, in the back, you know, the, all this kind of went over the shoulders and under the arms and all that. It was a, quite a, quite a harness. And it sounds like a parachute rig or something. That's exactly what my dad would call it. Yeah. He'd say it was like you're parachuting or something. And, uh, on the back, there was a D, a D ring and you would clip this into a, a tether that was in the back seat. It was mounted, you know, it was, it was bolted to the frame of the car in the trunk area. I think oh, it came okay. through the back of the seat. And uh, it allowed the kid, there's, this is crazy, Ben, but it's one step above being like, you know, just free without a belt back there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you would clip it to the back and the kid could get like, you know, left and right, almost all the way to the window on either side. You could stand up, which is remarkable. Wow. I mean but that was kind of what happened back then. And uh, you could lay down, you could sit down, you could do any of that stuff. It was like free motion, but you were still tethered so that you didn't become a projectile to the front of the of the car. You know, yeah. go, th- go through the front window. And uh that's maybe the like the the best recollection of any kind of like car seat memory there era I mean uh seat belt memory that I have other than the ones that I had mentioned earlier on our um Hell's Highway broadcast. Ah yes, the uh our that was a three-part, it wasn't Scott. That was three parts and it was uh it was earlier this year. It was in 2015. I I want to say it was in May. April, May, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. Uh but I was just listening to that before I came on and I know we talked about seatbelts and seatbelt safety and some some memories. So oh, yeah. what about you? Do you
2: have any uh, like I, I have one, memories? I can't remember if we've talked about it on air. It's tangentially related because it does not involve a car. Instead it involves a roller coaster. Uh ladies and gentlemen, at, you're probably familiar if you're from the States with the chain of amusement parks known as Six Flags. Yeah. There's a Six Flags over One's a bunch of states. One of them is Six Flags over Georgia, right, which is uh, just outside of Atlanta, Georgia. As a wee young tyke, Scott, my parents and one of their family, friends, and uh, that friend's kids all got together in a group and went to Six Flags. Great time for the kids take them to an amusement park, right? However... Uh, there is a ride called the Great American Scream Machine, which is one of those old school wooden roller coasters. No loops, just a bunch of yep. hills. Big right? wooden coaster. Big wooden coaster. Yep. I've been on it. It's awesome. Yeah, you know it. And I was uh, still pretty young. So I was probably maybe, I want to say between eight and 10 years old. And we had the way that this works, the way that the coaster works is that you have a lap belt and then you have a, bar that goes down right sure. to a certain degree based on essentially the girth of the biggest person in the in the um in the seat so i was not with a kid and wasn't with one of my parents i was with um a family friends or someone who was there with us who uh was the nicest lady but much larger than a 10-year-old boy so They go, they check the lap belts. I'm looking at the bar. This is one of the first times I've ridden an actual roller coaster, and there's about a foot, a little more than a foot of space between my torso and that bar that's supposed to stop me. Yeah. And for those of you familiar with these types of roller coasters and the physics of them, the first hill is always the biggest, and you hear that... as you're getting pulled up to the apex of the hill. Sure. It's building the excitement. Mm -hmm. And that's when I found out that my seatbelt, my lap belt was not working. So I wrote and and lap belt, not working about a, a little more than a foot between me and the bar. So I spent the next, what maybe minute or so in abject, utter terror screaming because I was knocking around loose in that thing, man. I was like, Hit, hitting the chest, I was trying my best, like hold on to the bar like this, and not flip out. Oh, sure, trying to press yourself down yeah. into the seat, which is futile. right? Yes, yeah. it was—it was a fool's errand. So, I survived. The person who was riding with me thought it was so funny uh that I almost died. Well, maybe
3: she didn't know that you were in that situation at that point. Maybe she just thought you were terrified because you're an eight or ten
2: year old. Uh, little boy on a, on his first big roller coaster. I'm screaming, my seatbelt is broken the oh. entire time. I'm not just screaming, just like <laughs> a kid okay. having fun. All right. Well,
3: then, uh, yeah, I don't know what
2: to say so, about that. Uh, well, it. When, but
3: what can she do at that point too? Right. Maybe, maybe hold you in with a strong arm, you know? She, she tried something like that.
2: But yeah. when the, when she, um, when she saw that the seatbelt really was broken, uh, she, she felt terrible. That is my, um, that is by far my most, terrifying experience with a seatbelt. But every other time uh, I've been in, in any in situation, uh, a plane, a car, depending on the belt, uh, I try to wear them just in case, you yeah. know.
3: You know, Ben, I've got just something that's similar in a way, but not exactly the same, because that sounds terrifying being uh you know, thinking for about two minutes you're gonna fly out of a roller coaster when you're only ten years old. Mm-hmm. Scary. But um something that's sorta of similar is um at Cedar Point in Sandusky, Ohio, there's a roller coaster called the Blue Streak, and it's an old, old wooden roller coaster. Okay. No loops or anything. It's just, yeah. you know, up and down, a lot of uh, you know, um zero gravity moments, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, in the bumps. Uh they uh they have this whole Speech pattern thing that they do at the beginning. They use this big wooden lever to release the cars from the, from the, uh, the, the station, I guess. Uh huh. And, uh, it's so fast and, like, part of it, and the person speaks really fast and the, and the whole thing, the whole message is you gotta be quick to, gotta be quick to ride the blue streak. And, okay. uh, part of that is that you're leaving the station before you even get a chance. Like, you, your butt has just hit the seat and it's gone. It's out the door. And so, like, the bars are coming down. You know, I don't even know if the bars are there. I don't remember exactly the, the, the layout of this whole thing. But there's a seatbelt and you're, you don't have your seatbelt buckled until you're about a quarter of the way up the first hill. Oh wow. Cause you're still trying to get things all together. You know, it's like, it's all, um, it's just crazy fast like that. But yeah, uh, I can imagine like that, that panic that you had when you, when you realized that the buckle wasn't quite exactly latching right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. but we're not here to talk about roller coasters today. No, unfortunately. Sort of in a, in a tangential way we are because we'll talk a little bit about airplanes and, mm-hmm. and school buses and maybe even, um, Oh, uh, I guess maybe some of those shuttle buses that you would ride or taxis and sure. stuff like that yeah. because seatbelts are, they're, they're there in a lot of these, uh, these, these, um, machines, not, not in school buses as we'll find out, but, right, right. um, you know, in taxis, when you get in a taxi, it's probably a good idea to put a seatbelt on. I mean, you're not required to by law, I don't think,
2: on uh, in the back seat. I would just say. Anytime I'm riding with a stranger, as far as I'm concerned, that seatbelt's on. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I do the same thing in like the airport shuttle van, you know,
3: cause that's a big open, uh-huh. it's almost, it's like a room you're going to fly across if something hits that vehicle. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I don't want to be, you know, like a projectile in, inside there. You know, there's enough luggage and other stuff that's
2: loose in there. I, I don't want to be part of that whole mess. I'd rather be buckled in and safe. And we'll talk um, a little bit about the history or evolution of the seatbelt or safety belt. We'll also talk about, uh, some of the reasons people don't like safety belts. Yeah, I
3: guess if there's, uh,
2: I, I don't know, there's not really a valid I don't reason. think there's a not, compelling reason.
3: No, um, I think that's uh, pretty much been, been disproven at this point. Historically, you know? yeah, the historical
2: concerns have been disproven. So, so, so where do you want to yeah.
3: start? I mean, we, we can go back to, uh, you know, the, the, the late 1800s if you want. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Well, 1885, that was when the first patent was, uh, was given for, uh a lap belt it was a it was uh, what is it a, just
2: more like a webbing i
3: guess with uh yeah. with um hooks and it sounded very dangerous the way that this thing was
2: patented, Yeah yeah really. it's and it's not necessarily for a car it's for uh it's this it's kind of like a harness you wear that has hooks and other attachments to secure a person to a fixed object mhm and i think that
3: it was uh, described as for Tourists, or painters, or firemen, or yeah. et cetera, who were <laughs> were being raised or lowered, and it was designed. Uh, the the uh, description of the patent, I guess, was designed to be applied to the person and provided with hooks or other attachments for securing the person to a fixed object. So these hooks and and uh, um, all this other stuff. I mean, it was, it was probably you are probably looking at something more like a um, in a horse drawn wagon situation mm-hmm. where they don't want people you know rolling off of a horse drawn wagon.
2: Right, and we'll remember, of course, that horse drawn wagons had were very bumpy rides so especially if it's a child or something
3: yeah and the uh,
2: and the roadways and they weren't all like yeah. great of course you know rutted and and
3: uh uh just dangerous in a lot of different ways mm-hmm. but um then it was uh what is it about 1911 i think uh when there's a guy who's a uh he's a he's an airplane pilot and he was flying a Wright flyer signal Corps one plane so this is very early on of course it's yeah. pre-world war one mm-hmm. even uh, very early on in flight even, and... He said that uh, he just would lose control of his aircraft as, as his airplane is is bouncing over this rough field that they use for right. takeoff and for landing. So it makes perfect sense why he would want to be, uh, you know, more in control in a, in a position that kept him in control. And that's the idea basically behind seatbelts anyways, right? Yes.
2: Oh, uh, we should say, historical note, uh, The we talked about the first patent and we talked about some of the first actual seatbelts mm-hmm. just the early days. Yeah. Uh, there's a guy named George Cayley a little bit uh, before Claghorn in the 1800s, who had a theoretical idea for a seatbelt, but I don't know that he actually built it. So he had this, um, he had a bunch of engineering product projects. One of them was this, uh, one of them was. The seatbelt itself, but it didn't really take off. I just want to say that although we had the idea, it wasn't really implemented. Yeah, so I think we said the patent for so that's that's yeah that's so so the idea was like maybe just a sketch that uh, that never quite made it to production. And when you look at these kinds of inventions, uh, as far as the legal system is concerned, the patent is king, and then first first use innovation. Interesting note about the pilot, uh, Benjamin F. Even though he had this great idea and had to get it built himself, seatbelts weren't in aircraft until the next world
3: war. Yeah, right? World War Two. They decided that uh, it might be a good idea that our uh, that our pilots are, are are you know firmly buckled in at this point because um, right. they're doing aerobatics and you know it's it's a uh, it's mainly for safety reasons. They didn't fly out of their aircraft. I mean, or fly. Um, I don't know if I can say that fly out of the aircraft. I, I would say like maybe fly out of the uh, the. the pilot seat so that yeah. they're they're not they've lost control of the vehicle because mm-hmm. of their their uh
2: um compromised position maybe. and it's easy to see how this could snowball into a disaster right mm-hmm. unsecured pilot hits some turbulence mm-hmm. right or has to make a maneuver and is pulled away from their seat they fall out uh you're going to try to grab something, and the first thing you're probably going to try to grab will be the controls of the plane. Mm-hmm. And then once you grab that, then the plane is just going to follow... Whatever force or direction your hand is going, in. potentially making the situation worse. Oh
3: yeah, much worse. So like, it's it's clear what happens here, and and that's the the same basic idea. I've said it once already, but it's yeah. the same basic idea behind why we have seatbelts in cars too. I mean, there's there's more to it than that, as we'll see. But um, going up to like let's say the uh, the mid 1950s. Okay. Uh, there's a doctor. He's a neurological doctor, and I believe that he had set up a practice in a place called Huntington Memorial Hospital in mm-hmm. Pasadena, California, and his name is. uh Dr. C. Hunter Sheldon, mm-hmm. and Dr. Sheldon decided that um, he, has see, he was seeing a lot of um, head injuries that were coming through the emergency rooms in his area, and he decided that one thing that he could do is he could make a, uh, an improvement on the lap belt, and mm-hmm. it would have a more of a ratcheting um, uh, system in place so that it wasn't uh, it wasn't just the uh, you know you adjust the length kind of like a, an airplane seat belt is right now, right? You know, where you, you buckle where it, you
2: use uh, one strap to uh, to pull and adjust the length uh, to secure your body at the lap.
3: Yeah, and you know people would be kind of lax about this, even if they were in the cars. If it was yeah. uh, if it was optional equipment, which they were in some vehicles at this point, they were lax about it. They would leave it very loose. Yeah, uh, you know the, the first person that you know was there. Uh, the person was there ahead of them. Maybe had it uh, you know adjusted too tight or sort of too too tight maybe, and they just decided, well, I'm not going to wear it this time. At which point, um, it may as well
2: have been symbolic.
3: Yeah, I guess so. But you know, with this with this idea in mind, is that everyone got a custom fit at this point, and right. that that had not happened prior to that. And not only that, the ratchet allowed for a better design because they can they can include some locking mechanisms in there that we'll talk exactly. about later. Um, is, we can we can even test some of those. We can show you how to test yours.
2: And that's not the only thing he proposed. Uh, he also is one of the early advocates of roll bars. And airbags. Oh, so he's a safety guy. Well, of course, he's trying to uh, eliminate, um, mm-hmm. you know, head injuries.
3: Is he? Is, that's mm-hmm. his main focus, right? So let, let's just uh, let's jump right in here, Ben, because yeah. in in the late 1950s, uh, there's a very very important figure that comes into play, and this is a, a Swedish engineer and designer. His name is
2: uh, Nils Bolan. Right. Yes, Nils Bolin was working for Volvo, I believe. He started there in about 1958, and he's credited. With creating the modern seatbelt, the one that you probably wear or that you should be wearing when you hop in your car in 1959. And that was,
3: uh, and that's no accident by any means. They mm-hmm. brought him on board to be that person to design that. Right. So, uh, we'll, we'll get to that in just a moment, but, but we should can, go a little bit further back. Right? Can we go back just a yeah, few yeah, years? Yeah. Cause uh, if we go back to like 1949 and 1955, mm-hmm. uh, companies like Nash and Ford both were, were installing as optional equipment only. It wasn't even standard equipment. They, yeah. were, they were installing um, uh, lap belts mm-hmm. as optional equipment. So it wasn't even that you had to get them in in the vehicle. And oftentimes, even if they were installed in the vehicles, people weren't using them or they were using them incorrectly, as we mentioned before. It wasn't until about the mid to late 1960s when seatbelts became standard equipment. And even then... It wasn't necessarily the one that we're talking about. It was sometimes lap belts
2: still. Right. Yes. Yeah, or variations. And stuff. depending on where the seat was in the car. So the, the very first, here's the trivia, the cocktail trivia. So you can impress, uh, impress or irritate your friends at your next party. <laughs> uh, you can say that the Saab GT 750 at the New York Motor Show in 1958, that was the first vehicle that safety built fitted as standard standard equipment so we're talking just lap belts at this point and just that one and it should be
3: pointed out too that because they were worn incorrectly because they were positioned uh you know on on a person's either thighs or maybe right. even too high up on the waist uh, you know in the abdomen a lot of times in these accidents, these high-speed collisions, mm-hmm. the lap belt alone was causing uh, more severe internal injuries than would than it would have if they hadn't been wearing the belt. And yeah, this leads point. to a lot of confusion. And this mm-hmm. is where <laughs> some of the uh, some of the stuff that we had talked about in earlier episodes where people look at the idea that you're safer without the seat belt. Right. Some of that comes from all the way back then. And others, you know, other things happen later. I mean, there's also uh, just anecdotal evidence that, you know, uh, person was thrown thrown brief from the accident yeah. and and therefore lived uh, they would have died if they had stayed in the vehicle oh man that's, that's safe that's, for taking
2: that trip through the windshield bad uh, advice
3: bad advice all around
2: but that's like saying that's like saying you know a lot of investments are dangerous so you should just play the lottery because <laughs> sometimes you win <laughs> yeah it is uh, so okay uh while we're back on our way to Niles Bow and Volvo yeah. we should uh we should mention the emergence of what would later become the modern safety belt. The modern safety belt in most cars is what's called a three-point harness. Mm-hmm. Those three points are on your right hip, your left hip, and then either your right or your left shoulder. Mm-hmm. And depending we, on if you're the passenger or driver. Exactly, depending on which side of the car you're on. Uh, you will still, in in some older cars, uh, in the middle, you'll still find a regular lap belt, uh, which is not ideal. but uh no. In more, more and more newer cars, you'll just see another three-point harness in the middle.
3: You know, my project car, it's a 1967. Mm-hmm. In It wasn't until 1968 that the three-point harness became uh, standard equipment here in the United States. So I only have lap belts in the front and in the back seat. Uh, you know what? I, I'm just going by memory here. I've dug around back there a little bit, but I can't even find belts back there. Wow. it's the just, newport uh, Just yeah.
2: lap belts in the front. Huh? Lap
3: belts in the front only. And I, I'm sure that you can buy... Uh, you know, some type of conversion kit, you know, that allows you to sure. uh, to buckle something in, something that uh, you know gives you a shoulder belt, but um, kind of strange. But it wasn't until 1968. So, anyways, this guy Bolin, he was uh, he was hired in 1958, as you said, and he was brought in, um, you know, by Volvo Cor- Volvo Car Corporation uh, to be the company's very first chief safety engineer. And uh, mm-hmm. this was because, and I found this pretty interesting. It was because a relative of the then. Volvo CEO, his name was Gunnar Englou, uh, had died in a car crash, which helped motivate the company to increase its safety measures at that time. So they had like a personal motivation to say, you know, this shouldn't be happening anymore. And Volvo has long been, uh, kind of the brand of, uh, that's like their, their, their mantra, their mantra, their, uh, right. their, their, their go-to statement is that, you know, we're all about safety and we're doing everything we can to make a, um, well, as close to a death-proof car as we can, really.
2: Yeah, and it's a it's a quest that continues today. But Volvo famously is known as the safe car company. Yeah, and, and so here's Bolin. He comes in,
3: and he he had worked in the past uh, with Saab, but we're talking about like in the airplane industry, right? He had done a four point harness, right? Yeah, four point harnesses, and they're very elaborate. These harnesses in airplanes. But he knew that you know no one's going to take the time to do this in a car, and it's going to be very expensive to implement in a car. And a four-point harness is the kind where it goes over both shoulders, attaches somewhere in the middle mm-hmm. of the uh, of the abdomen, uh, and the two points again are you know down by the hips. Well, he knows that this is really it's not really possible in just a passenger car, and no one's going to take the time to fasten all this stuff up. It's it's possible to do. In fact, Volvo does this in a um, in a, a a concept vehicle as late as two thousand one. Uh, there's a vehicle called the, and I got it written down here, hang on. Uh, the, referring to my notes, the SCC from the 2001 Detroit Auto Show. And it was a concept vehicle. Of course, it's a safety concept. And this is a car that eventually became the C30, which is that kind of, uh, hot hatchback that they had for a while. If you look at the design of the SCC, it ends up with, uh, with a lot of the design elements from, I'm sorry, the, the C30 ends up with a lot of the design elements from the SCC. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this one had, um, oh, you know, it's got two things that I really want to mention here. First, it had, or three things. It had the four-point harness in the front for the the front passenger, so over mm-hmm. the shoulder and attached in the middle like a racing car would have. Almost, yes, to both seats. Without the submarine belt that goes down between the legs or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So it's a four-point belt. In the back seat, they had this crisscross seat belt. So, like, you know, imagine this sash that you just mentioned, you know, like it goes across from the shoulder down to the, yeah. um, this one has two of those. So one goes across, you know, left and, and one goes mm-hmm. right and that's for the, the kids or whoever's in the back um it looks a little dangerous to me and i am sure that it's tested and it's got to be it's got to be sewn together in some way cuz i don't you double
2: buckle it, huh yeah i
3: don't know exactly how it works i couldn't i couldn't get anything closer than a photo that was taken from 10 feet away of it but mm-hmm. um it looks like an interesting design i'm sure it's safe you know 2001 volvo they're they're definitely looking into safety for you know the last 50 60 years whatever right. or, or longer um the other thing that this this car had that i want to mention is that it had See through A pillars. And, oh, it, you love those. You I, love those. well, I, I, I would love to have see through A pillars yeah. or thinner A pillars if it yeah. was possible, if they were safe. And that's the thing is they were in this car. Uh, it had kind of a crisscross, um, uh, like a metal work, almost like, um, it, the best way to describe this may be like think about like the leg of, of the Eiffel, Eiffel Tower or something like oh, that. Oh, I see. Yeah. Like a, uh, a grid work of metal. And then in between that was a, was a visible, surface so that you could see through there yet it was still strong it was structurally
2: uh, you know uh, it had it had integrity see that's a great that's a great thing because one we've talked about this before and one of the problems with a pillars is that they do obscure the the ideal view you want right mm-hmm. but at this point there hasn't been a provable clear material that could replace it so it sounds like a good compromise to have it um, to have it partially a, a clear substance and then actually still reinforce it. It does. Whole. And
3: if you want to, if you want to take a look at the, uh, you know, that, that Volvo SCC concept car and just type in a pillar maybe mm-hmm. and it'll show you an example of what I'm talking about. But I think it's a good idea. So, so that vehicle from Volvo, you know, even, even this late is showing, uh, you know, that, the, that they're all about safety. This, this company right. really, really wants to improve safety and, and make their cars as uh, safe as possible. Um, but Boland's idea here was that. You know, he said, you know, these are these four point belts are just too complex. No one's going to really bother with it. So yeah. he's out to develop what and he knows that there's um, there are people that are kind of thrown around the idea of the three point belt. And I'm sure that, you know, that has has been um, uh, something that he had investigated, you know, probably during his Saab days.
2: Right. Yeah. There was a patent in 1955 for something like a three belt or a three point belt system by two Americans. However, this was a good idea. But Niles Bolin is the one who developed it into a working practical application.
3: Yeah, and he, as he said it, and this is his own quote, he says, it's just a matter of finding a solution that's simple, effective, and can be put on conveniently with one hand. Now that makes perfect sense to me, like it, it's very little trouble to put it on. Right. It's safe, it's effective, and, uh, and, it, um, yeah, the the uh, the whole thing of him perfecting it was more like, you know, where are we going to put the anchor points, and how are we going to make this thing comfortable to wear, and how are we going to make things, make it so that people don't necessarily mind having this on while they're driving. You know, it's how not, do we
2: make it easy to say yes?
3: Exactly right. Yeah. How are we going to how are we going to make this something that people just instinctively do every single time they get in the vehicle? Because at this point, there's no laws, there's no mandates, there's nothing right. like that, and manufacturers aren't required to even put these in vehicles. So why would we? Why would they want to do that? You know, to to them, you know, it's a tremendous cost, you know, Mm -hmm. for them to put this in to make it standard equipment. But the benefits of this of the thing could be great. And at this point, he can't really show that he can't he can't point back to studies that say that this is
2: going to save X number of lives. Ah, right. And people are skeptical too. Like, why should I do that? See, lap belts are more dangerous. You could get your brain knocked out of your yeah, face. Yeah, we're <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we're better off without belts, that's right. Uh, so and he doesn't have a study, he doesn't have solid data. So what he does is he conducts his own study of twenty eight thousand accidents throughout Sweden. And he said and he finds that Occupants without wear, who are not wearing a belt of some sort, so this could be lap belts as well, uh, occupants who are not wearing belts sustain fatal injuries through the entire scale of speed. So zero to insert number here. Mm-hmm. And uh, the thing is that if you're going under 60 miles per hour, nobody wearing a seat belt was fatally injured. They were still knocked around, you know, broken noses, broken ribs. Sure. Bad afternoons, but, uh, but they were alive. Yeah, that's a, that's a considerable
3: a number to point at too. I would you say 28,000 accidents? Yeah, 28,000
2: so accidents. Yeah, that's a significant number. That's a, that's a, right. that's a big sampling. It is, it is. And you have to have something of that scale minimum to really build a case, given that what we're essentially doing, if we are Volvo and Niles Bullen, in this situation, is we're talking to world governments and private manufacturers and saying here you have to make this uh, extra expense or this extra legislation for every car for every voter and people aren't going to like it and you're not going to really save any money people will probably have to buy pay more for cars so we have to prove to you that this is worth it and luckily for everyone uh they did we you know you and I have read out accident statistics on this podcast before mm-hmm and what what's strange when you when you think about what Niles Boland did, he saved millions of people's lives. Yeah, eventually this
3: design. Yeah, they they uh, well, I think it's very recent too. I mean, within like I want to say it was like the 50th anniversary of the device. So in 2009, they were talking about how this this simple device, this one thing, the seatbelt, three point belt, has saved one million lives. Overall, you know, in the, the five decades or whatever that it's wow. been around. So that's a huge, huge number. And you'll see varying numbers all over the place. Cause I was trying to gather information from a bunch of different sources for this. And I was seeing numbers like this, this device has saved 35,000 people. And I was thinking, well, that's not very many. That's, that's not the, that's, <laughs> that's far off from the one million. I mean, that's a lot of people, but it's sure. far off from the, the, the one, 1 million. million that I see claimed. Well, it turns out that was a number from the UK where. They hadn't really implemented the, uh, the mandatory seatbelts until 1983. So wow. from 1983 until 2009, it had saved something like between, I think it was 35 000 to 50,000 or something like that. It a, Gee, it's a big yes. number. And also, you know, that's a crowded place. That <laughs> is a crowded place, but it wasn't mandatory for the three point belt to be worn in the front seat. By, you know, there's all these different levels of, of mm-hmm. what's required. So, you know, um, as we talk about this, you know, we'll get a little confused, I guess, you know, like, Front seat passengers have to be buckled in with a three point harness. That, right. That's and and then then it's like well, um, those below a certain age must be required or required to be belted in in the back seat, uh, but lap belts are okay at that point. And then they say, well, no, it's required that you know the kids at this age have to be in a child seat. And then mm-hmm. uh, then then it changes a little bit more to say that. Kids of a certain age or under have to be or are required to be buckled in with a three-point harness also in the back. But that was a long time coming before that happened. And then, you know, there's just all these variations of of when things are implemented, when they're mandatory. And who's in office at the time makes makes a big difference, as we mentioned before, with that uh, Georgia senator, I think it was. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which is itself a funny story because, I mean, this –
2: what was it a senator i think it was a senator somebody yeah, that held definitely. a held a public office yeah in uh georgia oh yeah. man okay so we talked about this story in episodes past i don't want to go too deep but this is one of those stranger than fiction things so you probably haven't heard of it if you are not in the state of georgia for a long time georgia like many, many, many other states and countries in the world, required people to wear seatbelts while operating a motor vehicle. Georgia, however, had one notable exception. This seatbelt law did not apply to pickup trucks. There were no safety studies in favor of this exception. There was no data. There were no testimony from doctors. There wasn't even uh, some kind of cushy backroom deal with pickup truck manufacturers. There was one guy. In the Georgia state legislature who drove a pickup and didn't feel like he should have to wear a seatbelt. Yeah. And
3: therefore they decided that they were going to make this exemption for all pickup truck drivers so that he never
2: received a ticket for years, for years. Uh, it was as recently as, um, well, I think it it was 2010?
3: Yeah. Just a ballpark. I mean, I I moved here in 2007 Mm -hmm. and I know that this was big news when it changed because once he was out of office, they, they immediately switched it back to if you're in, if you're in Georgia in a pickup truck, You now have to wear a seatbelt in, you know, in the front seat, at least. I'm not sure about the back seat, you know, like the crew cab area or whatever, but, um, kind of absurd that they would make a law like that, isn't it? Or they wouldn't make a law because of
2: that. Right. But it happens all the time. And we know that stuff like that happens. Uh, I, I believe it might have been Senator Jeff Mullis. Uh, he's one of the people who voted against, against the, the various proposed bills. Yeah to uh make the rest of the law apply to uh seat belts and pickup trucks, mm-hmm. but uh they would paint it as not that they didn't want to wear seatbelts, as uh they believe that um people should choose to do it, but they think it's too big brothery. Yeah. The same well, people have to. Okay. So All right. It makes no sense. That is kind of strange. Makes now,
3: no sense. We're getting to the point in our story here where we can probably let the cat out of the bag here. Why, uh, why Nils Boland wasn't a multi billionaire and why, um, Volvo isn't making, you know, $25.37 from every other manufacturer that, that puts a seatbelt in their car for every instance of that.
2: Because they did something amazing and incredibly rare. Something that I don't think most people would do. No,
3: I don't think so. I, I mean, I, you don't see this happen very often. It was Jonas Salk, and then these guys. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. No, it doesn't happen very often, that's for sure. And this is—they uh, is, gave away the idea. They, they gave away the patent for this. They mm. said, "You know what? This is so important. This is so. This is such a a life-saving device. Like it's such a um, a milestone, I guess, right. in in automotive safety achievement that we are going to." Allow you to put this product in your vehicle at no cost. You know, here's the design. Please put it in because it's it's that worthwhile, right? And so they don't make anything from this this patent. They hold the patent, mm-hmm. but they don't. Uh, um, it, it's open, I guess.
2: Right. There's not a proprietary licensing fee that every other car manufacturer would have to pay. Mm-hmm. And this is do- This does several. This I would say this does three. Um, things that two that are very important for the world and one that's very important for Volvo.
0: You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack slack is where work happens with all your people data and information in one ai powered place start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites or build an automation with workflow builder to take routine tasks off your plate no coding required grow your business in slack visit slack.com to get started
1: if you use paper you're a human but if you choose paper you're a papertarian
2: For, um, hunting proprietary alternatives, right? So this means that for seatbelt manufacturers, as long as they have this, this one thing that's super simple and works, they are not, they're not going to have to spend more money finding something that might be inferior, but you know, cost them $16 per car versus 25 or 37 or whatever. Mm -hmm. Worry about quality. Right. You don't have to worry about quality, which, uh, translates to, uh, the second thing, which is that for most, uh, if that factor, the three point seatbelt is consistent and constant throughout all vehicles, then when you are a first responder or an EMT, you know, a, a fireman or something, then you have a, you have a better idea of how to approach the situation, even if it's just a little bit better, even if it's just a little bit less unpredictable. Sure. The third one, which I think is you know me, Scott, I'm a suspicious dude. I this had to enter into Volvo's calculation. You cannot put a price on the amount of good uh good PR that is.
3: Yeah, well here we are talking about it now, it's twenty fifteen. This yeah. is something that was invented in nineteen fifty nine and we're we're spreading the good word that uh you know over corporate profit, uh Volvo has decided that, you know, this is for the better good. It's for um, you know, uh, it's a it's a life saving device. It's, yeah, oh, they
2: still made money though. Don't, don't of course they did. Don't feel like you have to send them a check. No, of
3: course <laughs> of course they made money. But you know, the thing is like they said the decision and this is a, a quote from Alan Dessel, who is the um the managing director of Volvo, said the decision to release the three point uh seatbelt patent was visionary and in line with Volvo's guiding principle of safety. And mm-hmm. it it completely does fall in line exactly with what they're talking about. Now so imagine if they had designed something like that and then just Made some kind of in, insane profit from it. Uh, people could point fingers and say, like, "Well, you, you know, you've got sure you got these safe devices, but you're you're keeping them all to yourselves. Um, you know, you're making money on every other one that everybody else puts in. So maybe we'll change it and make something that uh, we feels better, but maybe isn't quite as safe." Right. Um, there's a there's a lot of angles to this whole thing, but don't think that uh, Nils Bolin didn't do without by any means. I mean, he he had a a long good career mm-hmm. um, at Volvo. And later, he and he received awards, of course. Sure, I mean, uh, you know,
2: of course, the uh, the notoriety is one. It's like him one, right? and Norman Borlaug, I, I think, are the people estimated to have single handedly saved the most lives. Okay, who's Borlaug? Norman Borlaug is the guy who launched the Green Revolution uh during the the famine years. So he uh, was able to he he was able to use innovative farming techniques to allow for. Big agriculture, which I know a lot of people have a problem with nowadays. But at the time when he invented these things, or when he implemented these things, what he was doing was saving hundreds of thousands, millions of people from starvation. Yeah, and the ideas still are, really.
3: Yeah. So you can't really point Mm -hmm. fingers at this. Okay. So the other thing is um, he did receive a few, you know, Nils Bullen, Received a lot of notoriety, as we said. You know, of course, you know he had his photo in uh, you know lots of magazines and and in newspapers and all that. You know, big deal. Um, he was a big deal. I mean, not not, mm-hmm. <laughs> not, not big deal. <laughs> not sarcastically. No he, no, he really was a big deal. <laughs> um, but he also received a gold medal from the Royal Swedish Academy of Engineering Science in 1995, and then in 1999 he was inducted into the Automotive Hall of Fame for this induction or for this uh, for this idea. That's a huge thing. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not you don't design a uh, a latch on you know a uh, a hatchback or something and get put into the automotive hall of fame. This is this is a big thing. I mean, it's right. it's not every day you know maybe the designer of the first airbags or something would be in there as well. Sure, um, you know these uh, these milestone um, ideas or or the the. Uh, you know the big moments, I guess, in automotive mm-hmm. history, and and the design. You know, his. Uh, well, he. I, I should say this. He passed away in I think two thousand two. Two thousand two. So yep. he received. You know, he was there for uh, the induction in the Hall of Fame, and he also, you know, was there to receive the award and you know all that. So he had a, a long, good life with uh with you know lots of notoriety and uh and you know it's a good story overall. It really mm-hmm. is, Nils Bowen. Um Going beyond what he created, even during his lifetime, you know, like, well, um, while he's still around, there were so many different variations of this design or this, oh, this sure. idea. And, um, we can talk a little bit about these, uh, the different types, but I don't want to go yeah. too in depth in okay. this, but I think most of the story that we wanted to tell is already out there. Yeah. Um,
2: so we've talked about, we've talked about lap belts so were two point. Systems. Yeah, two point systems, that's right. And, Invented uh, this, in Kentucky, I believe, in the 1900s, or that's the guys credited with it. Yeah,
3: yeah, you're right, <clears throat> exactly right. And then, uh, we talked about the sash idea, you know, that's the, uh, the, mm-hmm. the one that goes over the shoulder. Uh, three points, you know, the, there's also belt and seat designs, which, uh, you know, the, the belts are anchored within the seat itself and yeah. instead of going to the, the actual the frame of the vehicle or to the, uh, to the, the chassis floor, or, or something yeah. yeah exactly so there's that uh there's four five and even six point seat belts which um are basically at this point reserved for uh, uh child seats and racing yeah as you can say yeah. uh infants and race car drivers something else interesting though that i didn't know There's a seven point belt that is used by, um, acrobatic aircraft, um, pilots, Mm -hmm. I guess, uh, because they, they deal with not only, um, uh, g forces on them, you know, when they're, when they're accelerating or, you know, doing different maneuvers in the air. Oh yeah, but past that. They have negative g forces, which, uh, so there's other belts that restrain them in, in like the opposite direction, if you can imagine
2: that. Yeah. It's like a five point harness with a redundant lap belt, right? Yeah. And, and the thing is that, when we say negative g force, going back to our roller coaster conversation, uh, Scott, you, you made a really good point when you said there were zero g moments. Yeah. In a roller coaster. This is the opposite. You're not floating. You are actively being pushed out of the seat. Yeah. Yeah. So you got to do something. You have something to combat that. Right. And
3: the, the downside of this, I guess, is that if you were in a, uh, an emergency situation where you're having to eject from the plane or jump from the plane, whatever the case may be, um, you have, uh two harnesses that you have to unlatch at that point instead of just the one so it makes it a little bit tougher but uh it's it's definitely keeping you in position and in control of that mm-hmm. plane and that's that's really really important for an acrobatic pilot oh yeah yeah um uh, there's a lot of technology there's locking retractors you know what i mentioned this earlier and i just want to say this you can you can kind of test this in your own vehicle if you want most cars have this system if you slowly pull on that shoulder uh-huh. belt just re- and you're already smiling you know what i'm talking yeah. about you slowly pull on the uh, the shoulder belt like towards the steering wheel maybe you can pull the entire belt out all the way to right. the end if you want to. But, but if you, you grasp it and you give it a sharp jerk, a yank, uh, that belt is going to freeze solid. I'm, and that's yeah. a safety design. That's a, that's important. That's a, there's a locking mechanism within mm-hmm. there that we don't have time to describe right now. Yeah. Like um, pretensioners. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's pretensioners too. Mm-hmm. Um, I, pretensioners are a different thing though. That's, that's
2: true. I have to say something so nerdy though. Oh, sure. Um, the, you might, hopefully listeners, you will be some of the, the the handful of people who understand or care about the reference i'm going to i'm about to make so you remember dune
0: you're a growing business which means you need every spare hour you can find that's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in slack slack is where work happens with all your people data and information in one ai powered place start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites or build an automation with workflow builder to take routine tasks off your plate no coding required grow your business in slack visit slack.com to get started
1: if you use paper you're a human but if you choose paper you're a paper
2: I do. Did you see the film, sure. at least? Okay. Yeah. So they've got those force fields for their knife fights yeah. in Dune. Yeah. And it's the same way that a seatbelt works, or it's, it has the same kind of commonality, because in Dune, the force field works, it stops you if you make a hard, sudden impact. Sure. A punch or a quick stab, right? Yeah. But if you go slowly, then you go right through it. Now, isn't that sort of like, uh,
3: isn't there like a liquid body armor it's like that that the military has been uh, kind of teasing us with for about the last ten years.
2: Yeah, yeah, and it's a, uh, it's this, it's a, uh, it it changes uh, viscosity, I think, depending on the force. You can do the same thing at your house now with cornstarch. Right? Yeah, I was just going to say <laughs> that.
3: Yeah, it's kind of a fun little thing to do, right? With cornstarch, you mix up that, make that paste, and if you press your, is it you can. If you take like a spoon or something and you, and you slowly set it onto it, you can, you can sink it right into the substance. Yeah. yeah. But if you wrap it really quickly with that spoon, it's almost like it's a solid surface. Yeah. It changes. Yeah. It's really cool. It's a fun little thing to do. You can look that up online, I guess,
2: maybe. Yeah, so, uh, quick tip. That's, that's a, a, cheap and easy way to amaze your kids or your stoner friends. <laughs> <laughs> can I say that you on know, the air? Yeah, why not? It works, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's true. It's so true. All right. As so you mentioned
3: briefly, pretensioners, uh, yeah, pretensioners yeah, yeah. Are, are, um, there's a couple of different types. There's electronic, right. which can be reused, and there's also some that use pyrotechnics. So they're, they're, they fire a, um, uh, I think, I think they work on a gas system so that, uh, they're actually, <laughs> Well, it's like a cylinder that has a, a small explosion contained inside that yeah. uh, fires down a, a piston or a, a cylinder that then tightens the belt around you uh, if there's an, a situation where, like, say, maybe the airbags are just about to be deployed. Like, it, they work right. that quickly. They're really, really fast. But the ones that, that do have to fire like that, uh, once they fire, they have to be replaced. They're no yeah. good anymore.
2: They're a one-time uh, catastrophic measure.
3: Yeah, and others are electronic, which reset themselves. So, you know, that's not, uh, that's not something that's necessary. Um, what do
2: you think about these inflatable seat belts? I,
3: <laughs> I gotta tell you, I've seen them inflated. You wouldn't you wouldn't recognize them. You'd have to know that that was the belt because they uh, in the back seat um, when they're sewn together when they're they're collapsed. Yeah, uh, it just looks like a, maybe a thick seat belt. Okay. Um, they're they're sewn together in such a way that you don't even notice that it's there. Uh, but then when they inflate, they do look kind of ridiculous. I think it looks almost like a um, a flotation device for a for a boat. But it's the uh, the, the sash part of the belt. Uh, that inflates, and it's usually used in the back seat because the front seat is totally covered with airbags, you know, for for the front passengers. Back seat, um, they don't have that forward uh, impact uh, uh, bag, I guess, like, Mm -hmm. you know, the driver would or the passenger would with the dash thing. Um, But they look kind of ridiculous when they're inflated, but I guess they really work. I mean, it protects the uh, neck and head area Mm -hmm. if, uh, if there's a rollover, I believe. Um, there's also, you know, the side curtain airbags, which do that as well, but this is like an added layer of protection in, I think it's used in Ford vehicles right now. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's in the, uh, Ford Explorer and the Flex.
3: What is, what's your opinion of the way they, uh, they look, I mean, they may look silly, but if they're effective, Hey, why
2: not? That's the thing, man. They do look silly. And the question is, do you want to be alive and look kind of silly? <laughs> or do you want to be dead and cool?
3: You know what? And they don't look like that all the time. If you had to buckle something that looked like that on every time, it's very, uh, it'd be very intrusive, I guess. You know, it's, it's a big thing. It's a,
2: it's almost like a pool noodle or something, but, but, <laughs> pool noodle. but like three times the size of that. It's huge. So, uh, here's, here's a interesting note, just a side note. And I want to see what you think about this, Scott. I want to hear what you think about it, listeners. Especially, especially those of us listening who are old enough to remember this, which is neither of us, Scott. Uh, Some people trace the emergence of public support for seatbelts all the way back to the James Dean crash. Oh, really? In the Porsche, yeah, because it was horrific, and people said that, "Hey, maybe he could have survived if he was." Uh, wearing a seatbelt that was in 1955 then famous actor James Dean died in a two two car crash in California I, yeah
3: isn't that now someone pulled out in front of him right I mean he's in a uh, he's in a, a very low fast sports car and they were right. traveling at a high rate of speed right I don't know. I mean, I know
2: the passenger survived. He, uh, he apparently, people said he would have sur- likely have survived. Really? Had he been wearing a seatbelt? Well, you know what? Maybe it's a case of uh, he wouldn't have made contact with
3: the steering wheel. Or, right. You know, I don't know if he's thrown from the vehicle or not. I don't remember. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I, I guess that's the way that uh, you know. Back then, they had to look at all these accidents and say that it would have been survivable had they used this device, right? right. And, and that's that's what a lot of the the uh, the, the proponents of uh, even lap belts said. It, that, yeah, you know, if you, if if the lap belts are there and they're used properly, a lot of times they would have saved lives, but they just weren't even used at all. So looking back at the Dean crash, maybe they can you know surmise that you know had he had something on,
2: he yeah, would have, he would have made it. I well, I think I know it's possible to do that. I am skeptical about the degree of certainty you can have mm-hmm. with that kind of what ifing, And I'm sure there are forensics experts who have have this down to a science. Sure. Uh, but <laughs> but still, it sounds I don't know. Well, it's an interesting point about popular culture in, a, in the U.S. I don't. I don't know how much it would really affect it. I
3: just thought it was interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. I, I wonder, and it's right around that time. Wasn't it in 54, 55, something mm-hmm. like that? Mm-hmm. Those mid-1950s, right around when uh, there was this real push for yep. uh, some increased safety in automobiles. And then, you know, we didn't really start to see some big, big movements in it until the mid-1960s, really. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one more quick thing I yeah. want to mention is um, – Automatic seatbelts. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a car with automatic seatbelts. Ah,
2: yes. No. Automatic seatbelts are when you hop in the car, you close the door, (laughs) and these bad boys roll across you. (laughs) That's right. I'm laughing because, um, you know, there's a few, there's a few
3: reasons I'm laughing about this. There's, there's advantages and disadvantages of these, of course, but, um, this goes way back, a lot farther back than I thought. Now, I thought this was like a late 80s, 1990s type thing. Uh, because that's when we really started to see a bunch of these. And I had a car that, I did have a car that had those automated ones. In in production, you mean? Yes, in production. So, this goes all the way back to the early 1970s with Volkswagen. In 1972, Volkswagen had a car called the ESVW1 Experimental Safety Vehicle. And it had passive seatbelts. And (laughs) all the way back in 1972. Now they, they finally developed that they had a, or announced rather, that they had a functional passive seatbelt in 1973, and then the first commercial car to use these automatic seatbelts was the 1975 Volkswagen Rabbit. So we're loaded yeah. with uh, trivia information today, Ben. We've got lots of stuff. So uh-huh. the 1975 VW Rabbit was the first one with these automatic seatbelts, and it's just the the emotion is as you mentioned, Ben. You know, it's on this track that you know it goes kind of uh, along the door frame, maybe, mm-hmm. uh, but it's in the car, not on the door frame. But right, it goes across. It kind of uh, when you when you sit down and shut the door. It rides back over your shoulder and into position. But the problem with these is that then you you then have to attach a lap belt in some cases. Yes. Uh, Not all. There's variations of this whole thing. But it's like it's halfway there. That's the problem. Um, for For the majority of these systems. So, you know, there's three different ways you can do this. There's the... Manual lap belt with the automatic motorized shoulder belt, which is right. what we just talked That's about. That's
2: what we're talking about. Rolls on the track, mounted in the door frame. Yeah,
3: and then you've got to, you've got to manually grab the lap belt and put that on to complete mm-hmm. the process.
2: And then there's the manual belt with the automatic non-motorized shoulder belt
3: yeah now this is the one that was usually attached to the vehicle door so when you open the door this thing kind of strung out um you can picture this just right? on the mechanical motion of opening yes yeah opening the door so it there's no motorization here or, or um, mechanism that is driving the belt at this point but then you also still have to mm-hmm. buckle the belt and i think everybody can picture this you know the cars of the the 80s 90s there, there were a lot of variations of this and then there's the last one which uh was automatic shoulder and lap belts. And this is uh this is a really weird one. Now, a lot of GM vehicles had this. Um and some Honda Civic hatchbacks and Nissan centric coupes had, also had this. When you open the door, the belts go from a fixed point in the middle of the car to the uh, you know down by the floor, I guess like by, by your right hip if you're the driver. And they go to the uh the retractor which is in the door. Now the passenger uh, passengers, you know, driver and passenger have to kind of slide into the car, into the belts, and this is really a, you know, a pain, I guess. Um, you get tangled up in that. If you're carrying a bag or you had a purse or something like that, Yeah, uh, made it a little bit difficult to get in and out of the vehicle, but it's all done for you then. So it's, it's truly a passive system, if you want to look at it that way. I guess active in that you have to uh, maneuver your way around. Yeah. But, um, but it's all done for you. It's right there.
2: Well, and, the thing with those is that they do have the button, the release button you can push that you're supposed to push in emergencies. Yeah. However, yeah. You know what I'm about to say. I do, yeah. Most people use it just the same way you would use a manual seatbelt button. Because they were tired
3: of climbing under those belts to get into their car. So they would undo it, and that way that eliminates that problem. But then people get back in, and either it's halfway done, it's, it's, uh, you know, they don't do it at all. Um, you know, maybe they weren't quite as strict back then about, you know, some of these, uh, uh, I don't know what you call them. The road, what do you call the road blocks? And it's not, is it a roadblock or is it a checkpoint, a safety checkpoint where you drive uh, through
2: and, and they check your license
3: registration? Yeah. But are you, know, you drunk? But, but, yeah. you know, 500 yards ahead of that, they've got an officer that's watching sometimes with binoculars to see if you've got your shoulder belt on. If he can visibly if see the shoulder spot belt. It. Yeah. They can spot it as you're driving by and they'll say, you know, the, uh, red Honda Civic. Uh, give them a no belt ticket. Cause you know, you're approaching that and you, you yeah. buckle up then quickly. Cause you realize right, like, right. I'm supposed to have my seatbelt on. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. And so that happens a lot. You know, they, they, they have spotters way, way ahead of the, the uh, the, the actual checkpoint. The actual point. Yeah. yeah. Because they know that you're going to
2: quickly, you know, attach mm-hmm. that belt. And that, you know, even if it's not a seatbelt checkpoint specifically, you'll get a ticket. Yeah. Uh, we, that click it or ticket stuff is true. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> all right, so and it's, it's just good practice to put it on
3: all the time. I do it all the time. I my whole family does it all the time, ex- with a few exceptions, which I mentioned in, uh, in an earlier podcast, but I won't talk about today. Huh, I have a,
2: uh, I remember that story, Scott. Yeah, I've got a, a couple friends who don't wear seatbelts, but it's more because their cars are broken down with broken seatbelts, mm-hmm. and I'll say, you guys, you should. You should get that fixed. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but you know, I've got, I've got no pull. So Ben, there's the other side of this too, I guess, where, mm-hmm. you know, a
3: seatbelt could be compromised in some way. I had a, a dog, his name was Arnie, the oh, yeah, guy, yeah. first dog, and uh, we left him in the car just for a few minutes and we came back after just like two or three minutes and he was a nervous dog. He had chewed through the seatbelt to the point where he like just, just put his teeth to it and kind of gnawed until the point where it was, you know, nearly all the way through. And that's a, that's a tough thing to bite through. But, you know, once there's that, even just a nick in one of those things, they're no good anymore. You have to replace it. That's like, it's like a hundred bucks or more, you know, even back then it was like 15, 20 years ago. Um, so it can be a big expense. So, so, you know, pay attention to, uh, you know, the integrity of your belts as Mm -hmm. well and the whole system. Make sure it's all working correctly. Yeah. He's, uh,
2: He's fighting the system, right? <laughs> Sit yep. down with the man, fighting the system. Yeah. And with that, I think we're going to close this chapter on our history book. We'll be back, perhaps, if there are updates on seatbelts, which will surely happen in some si- in in the future, oh, right? Absolutely. I mean, we'll probably look back at the belts we're using now and think and say, like, "Well, what were we thinking? What a bunch of jabronis!" Yeah.
3: Just for a good, exi- like, you want a good example? Yeah. Look at uh, child safety seats from the nineteen fifties or nineteen sixties, and then you'll think like what were we
2: thinking back then? And, and <laughs> you know, we're going to do the same thing 50 years from now. I oh, bet. sure. That's how safety works. Uh, however, uh, before we go, there was a question we were asked on Twitter and Scott, I thought it was interesting enough that I'd like to address it on the air. Are you ready? Oh, maybe. Okay. Well, ready or not, my friend, uh, Jay Mukoyama asked us, Hey, car stuff. If when racing becomes automated, will it still be a sport? Will you still watch? Would love to hear your thoughts. Answer is no. To both questions?
3: No, actually, <laughs> you know, I—that's I, I, a snap decision. But you know what we're talking about here is like, you know, the Formula E type racers right? Yeah, that's exactly what it'll be. It'll be um, autonomous Formula E racing. And I don't know. I'm not crazy about Formula E to begin with. That's true. Uh, but I think if you remove the human element from this thing, I, we had a, another listener that that commented on this because this has been on the news very recently. Mm-hmm. And I think it was Rudy. Rudy Smith. Yeah. Rudy wrote in and said. Hey, why not, uh, if we're gonna, if we're gonna do this, let's program these things for maximum destruction because there's no humans involved.
2: Right. Yeah. But the, the problem,
3: you know, it's funny to, to think of it that way. He's like, well, let's run a race where there's one car that's running the opposite direction and the others have to <laughs> avoid it, you know, at, at speed. Um, you know, or, or something crazy like have jam cars, you know, that are intentionally out there to cause mayhem and
2: trouble. See, I think that's a spectacle. But if we think of the definition of sport in general, Sport in general does have a human element as a decisive factor. So we're taking – this is how I'm thinking of it. So you could say, you could argue, Jay, that it's still a sport because there are still human-led teams building these things. However, I think that when the rubber hits the road, ha, 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 uh, when the rubber hits the road, if there's not a human driver, it's not necessarily still a sport. It could be a spectacle – it can be an event. It's entertaining. Yeah. I will still watch it to answer the second question, but without having the, um, the essentially fallible, um, human being as the primary mover of the, of the vehicle of the pursuit, you know, like, um, like it goes to another related thing. I know I'm kind of rambling here, Scott, but is droid or drone racing a sport? Uh, you know what? Okay, <laughs> is it more of a sport? <laughs> I don't know about sport, but
3: there's there's a human that is watching through virtual reality glasses or and goggles, controlling it, and controlling it. So that that human is is controlling it that way. But these aren't like remote control cars. We're talking about fully autonomous cars that they would just let go. Yeah. Um, uh, the teams would pretty much be there for uh, changing batteries and tires, and
2: that's it. So yeah, I don't know if because in that case, in that case, then the the crew chief. Becomes the closest thing we have to the human element controlling the car. Well, it might be interesting if they had a.
3: This became like a a full-scale remote control vehicle that somebody is uh, is piloting from the pit area. That might be something.
2: I'd also like to see have a John Henry moment and see some of the world's best human drivers on some autonomous vehicles. That would be great.
3: Imagine if they had a series where uh, that's that's perfect thing to to, uh, to to end on here, Ben. What if what if they had half the field was autonomous vehicles half of it were actual human drivers and uh, of course you know which is which you know right. you're going to be able to see the ones without the driver mm-hmm. ones with but uh, just to see how they fare against each other would the humans make smarter decisions would they be more aggressive would they be less aggressive right like, uh, how does it uh, how does it all play out um i'd i'd be fascinated to see that type of series
2: as would I. Let us know what you think about automated racing, and hey, let us know. Let us know if you have a valid reason that you don't wear a seatbelt. Oh yeah, <laughs> good luck because I don't know if there. I don't know if there is a valid reason for not. I don't think there is at this point. There, there really isn't that we could find. Uh, we'd also like to hear your seatbelt stories, your roller coaster stories. Um, and I'm still on the fence. Is automated racing a sport? That's such a good question. I really think we should John Henry it. Um, so. We want to hear your thoughts. You can reach us at uh, Twitter and Facebook. We are Car Stuff HSW. You can check out our three-part episode on highway safety films, which is way more interesting, dark, and grisly than you'll think from the title. Uh, you can check that out along with all our other podcasts on our website, CarStuffShow.com. And if you want to email us directly, you're in luck. We both are because we have an email address. It is CarStuff at HowStuffWorks.com.
0: more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com.
4: So, should we go electric?
0: I think we should go electrified with Toyota.
4: Electrified?